This is an exclusive presentation of Fort Wayne Sports Station. It's new track record with Caleb Hatch and Justin Kenny, Live from Indianapolis Motor Speedway for the greatest spectacle in racing. The Indy 500. Only on 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Welcome in to the new track record live show live today from the media center here at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. Caleb Hatch in at Justin Kinney with you. Hello, Justin. Hello, Caleb. How are we doing? Doing well. Of course, it's it's always great when you get to be at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway, right? Well, and it's it's not raining. It was earlier today and we thought, you know, are they going to be able to get final practice in and carb day activities in yet? Rain moved out, and it's dried up, and we just finished up final practice here at the Speedway, and pretty, pretty soon we'll have the, uh, the pit stop competition, but a, uh, a huge crowd here for Carb Day activities here at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. Yeah, the weather is held off just enough. Things got pushed back, like you said, but everything is a go, and Justin, you can't win the Indy 500 on Carb Day, but you sure can lose it. I think that's kind of the, the biggest takeaway that we've had today, I, it's just been such a wild month in the sense that it's been so quiet when it comes to incidents on track. Now, Dalton Kellett had an incident on Monday, and then today, two major incidents. David Malukas tangled with Santino Ferrucci. Ferrucci got penalized for that for avoidable contact. And then Colton Herta just lost it on his own, uh, exiting turn one into turn two. A massive crash. Car went airborne. He's okay. Malukas is also okay, but some major rebuilds for both those teams, and uh, especially for Malukas, who's starting toward the front of the field. I think he's in row five, I y- want to yes. say. So it's it's uh, a major disappointment, I think, for the rookie because he had had a great month so far. Dale Coyne Racing Team has had so much speed all month long, but it, a major setback for him, for Colton Herta. Uh, I guess the positive out of the situation is, as far as we understand, he's not going to have to start at the back of the field. Well, that's a blessing, and the fact that uh, he's checked out okay, went to the infield care center, initial test for a concussion, he passed, and it was a really scary crash. And you and I were in the garage area checking out the damage to David Malukas's car that had been delivered back to his garage, and all of a sudden we hear a huge boom, and then a, a lot of uh, noise from the crowd and audible gasps, and we immediately, you know, checked out the the nearest video board that we could find and it was an overturned Colton Herta uh kind of scary and I I you know we hadn't seen it in a couple of years but the car getting airborne and flipping over and I think maybe that's something that whether the physics of the crash resulted in that or maybe something bigger I think would need to be examined by by the speedway but it's it's never a calm month here and we felt okay we got through a week of practice and qualifying without any major shunts and then Monday like you mentioned with Dalton Kellett today we get Malukas and Herta crashing and is it a precursor to what we could potentially see on Sunday that we will have considerable warmer temperatures and track temperatures coming up on Sunday than we have today yeah you know that's a, another thing to play into it because today at the start of the session Air temp was about 68 here in Speedway. Track temp, I think, was about 90. We're expecting, what, 20 to 30 degrees hotter as far as track temp just at the start of the race on Sunday. And with that addition of the sealant, that also impacts things because, well, the track is a darker surface, so you're going to get more track temp. With that, obviously, the air temperature forecast projected to be mid to uh, low 80s 
So we're looking, what, about 15 or so degrees warmer as well. So another thing to factor into it. Um, so we'll, we'll see how that plays out because it's almost like, yeah, you, you run today as a systems check, but the more you run, it, we, we kept talking about, well, it's kind of surprising that everyone's getting so much track activity today, especially after the session that they had on Monday, which is almost like a, a dress rehearsal, if you will. Today, you, in, in past times, it was more of a systems check. You know, everything good on the car, you check everything, do a look over, and make sure you keep it clean. But a lot of laps put in today. And with the session, as you look at some of the top drivers, Tony Kanon, fastest, the legend, 227.1 <laughs> miles per hour. Marcus Erickson, his Chip Ganassi Racing teammate, 227 flat. Takuma Sato has been fast all month long. He goes 226.8 and third. Scott Dixon, your pole sitter, 226.6 and fourth. And then Sage Karam, 226.5. Those Dry and Rhinewell cars have also been quick. And, you know, with Ferrucci and Sage Karam qualifying toward the upper half of the field, they could be a, a sneaky surprise on race day as well. Well, what's the common theme up front once again today uh, on Carb Day is Team Ganassi towards the front. So that's a team that obviously stole the show with, with you know all of its cars qualifying towards the front, and they continue that hot streak today. And, you know, you and I kind of uh, you know, lingered around the Scott Dixon pit, and it was very – very relaxed in that pit. You know, didn't feel like they had a whole long checklist of things they needed to get through today. It was basically, let's make sure we don't have anything major, you know, make sure where there's no oil leaks or anything wrong with this car, and then wrap it up. Because I don't think, uh, did he do the fewest laps out of anybody today? Maybe less than 10? So the fewest laps, uh, it's funny you just mentioned that. So the fewest laps we had in the session, Renus VK with just 18 and then he the most struggled laps, with speed, too. Really yes, he in. was last on the speed charts in 33rd. Most laps in this session with this abbreviated practice session, originally set to run from 11 a.m. to 1 p.m., but due to rain and, and moisture in the area, pushed it back. It ran basically an hour and a half until 2.30. Most laps in the session, Callum Eilat, 68, as he comes in in 24th place on the speed chart, 224.1 miles per hour. Um, but, yeah, it, it's... VK, it's interesting. I've not seen anything as far as any concern from the team as far as his speed and where things are at, but it is fascinating that he ran so few laps and struggled with speed after having so much speed, all the Carpenter cars having so much speed in qualifying. Well, here's the thing, too, when you look at the hour-and-a-half practice and carb day practice in general is, you know, for teams, what do you take out of today? Because we mentioned the fact that Come two days from now, it's going to be considerably warmer. The sun is going to be out. It's overcast here today. And what do you change on the car? What do you address on the car that may be issues today but may not be issues on a warmer track or a hotter track on Sunday? So it's, it's very much a, a balancing act between what do you mess with out of today versus what do you keep the same because you're going to have different conditions. And I think that's what every team is, is doing after that practice, other than David Malukas and Colton Herta trying to rebuild cars, is, okay, what do we take out of the last 90 minutes? Okay, what worked, what didn't work, and what do we think is going to continue to work on Sunday? And what are issues that we're having today that could also continue to be issues two days from now? So that's kind of the debate that you're getting from every single team and driver right now. Uh, post-practice is, okay, let's re-examine what we, what we did, what we did out there, and what can we take tangible out of today's practice. So, again, the practice session, you look at the leaders on the board, and you mentioned it, a lot of Ganassi, 
Takuma Sato's been up there all month as well. Now, he moves from the Ray Hall team where he won the 2020 edition of the Indy 500, moves over, and look, I mean, he was going to get a ride regardless in, in the offseason just due to the Honda connection. But what he's done for that team, after it seems like every year they lose a driver or both drivers, they lose talented engineers, he comes in, the speed they've shown this month, I think, has been very impressive. And, you know, something that was pointed out, I think this is Marshall Prude of Racer.com pointing this out, but, you know, you, we talk so much about, oh, well, they lost this engineer. You know, they lost Olivier Boisson in the offseason uh, to Roman Grosjean going to Andretti for that ride. Or a couple of years ago, they lost Michael Cannon going to Ganassi or Craig Hampson going to Aaron McLaren SP. But you think about it, and – these guys are mentoring, you know, the, the junior engineers, right? And so they have that development of talent, and we're seeing it play out right now. Well, we are, and that's kind of, you know, what we look at teams like Andretti, that's what they're building in the road to Indy is those, you know, those engineering crews and the pit crews and stuff eventually coming up to the big leagues. And, you know, credit to those smaller teams, and this is, you know, really a race that can really even the playing field. And it also helps to have a two-time Indianapolis 500 winner at the uh, at the helm as well because he's a guy that's that's going to know what needs changed uh on cars based on how it's handling and and performance and he's able to almost be a mentor to those engineers that maybe they don't really know what to do but Sato does he's been around here a time or two yeah and with Sato I mean I think some people maybe were a little surprised that he didn't have like the pole speed uh last weekend in qualifying but easy choice for the top 12 He's starting this race in 10th on Sunday. And you look at what he's done this month. He's kept it clean outside of a little skirmish with Marco Andretti in qualifying. Um, but you got through that. And with Sato, I mean, th this is a guy who, like you said, I mean, he knows how to go fast around this track. And it goes to show how this sport has changed, right? You know, back in the day, it used to be the younger guys who were dominating this race. It's completely flipped here in past years where you have, you know, you look at the winners just the last handful of years, you know, Sato in 2020, um, last year, Elio. I mean, Simon. Simon, Simon 2019. I mean, he's Will the young Power. guy of the bunch. Will yeah. Power in 18 and 2017. Sato again. Rossi is the clear outlier just this past decade. I mean, you look at the age of these guys. But I you mean, keep, yeah, you keep going the, back. You, you go to guys who are in their mid to upper 30s and, and most in their 40s who've won this race it is an experienced race and while you can you can teach speed and you know you can have bravery and qualifying with some of the young guys but even scott dixon's kind of changed his qualifying narrative here not that he was slow but i mean he's had a, a pretty dominant run with poles as well in the last handful of years so experience matters around this place and we've seen that shift here in the last five six seven years yeah, we have. And, you, you know, you mentioned Scott Dixon on the pole once again, but I think there's two drivers that are looking to do more than just sit towards the, the top portion of the grid, and that's Dixon, who's only won once, and Ed Carpenter, who's been time and again starting towards the front of the field, uh, you know, twice, is it twice on the pole, and has not been able to win, a, win, the, win the big one, win the 500. So, you know, Dixon's starting in the prime spot, of course, the inside of row one on pole, uh, but... You look at him and you look at Ed Carpenter and, you know, they've, they've shown speed. They've shown consistency around. They've been able to put the, put their cars on pole. But between them, only one win, and that was Scott Dixon. 
So you know, what can those two do on race day? And, and what you mentioned, just the, the, the savvy veterans that have been able to wheel it around here and get wins over the past 10, 15 years. And those are two guys that fit that category. So that's uh, kind of a look at some of the contenders today. Any other takeaways for you today? It's, it's so difficult to take things out of, uh, you know, an hour and a half practice is, um, you, know, you know, you mentioned it. We saw more in terms of uh, accidents today than mm -hmm. we did the, the rest and, of the month combined. Which is, you know, which I mean, is, never what you expect. Yeah, and, and I think that the feeling was after what we went through a week of, of practice and then qualifying weekend without any incidents is like, okay, you know, come race day. That's where we're going to make up, you know, that uh, those cautions. But we had tw two today, uh, you know, one, I'd say relatively minor with Lucas and then one big one with Herda. And so when we look at the balance of these race cars and, you know, Herda was saying, you know, I just didn't have grip. And this was a relatively cool racetrack today. And that's not going to be the case on Sunday. So if you didn't have grip today, if you were struggling with grip uh, today, then, then what does that mean for Sunday? Well, and, you know, you mentioned the grip level of the track. Look, we've had rain off and on the past several days here and in the state, and the rain plays a major factor in the grip level of the track. So while track temps are going to be a lot hotter, which means there's going to be less grip on Sunday, also just having the rubber washed off the track, you know, from last weekend, from the, the week of practice, and even from the Monday practice session, I mean, that really changes – the grip level, as you mentioned, and then going into Sunday with a hotter track and more of a green track, I mean, we'll see how the weather holds. I mean, it's been overcast <laughs> literally the <laughs> whole day. day. So it's showers have come and gone. I mean, it was raining and sunny right before they went to practice, if that, if that tells that you makes sense. where things have been here at IMS this afternoon. But with that, I mean, that's another thing to keep in mind. Now, I don't think this is going to play out like, 2018 right when it was really hot when you're approaching near 90 degrees and the grip level was so poor that you're seeing guys like Kanan and Elio just have single car incidents where they just lost it I don't think we're going to see that kind of race but I think we'll see something in the middle it's, it's not going to be like today where conditions are perfect for fast speeds and and perfect for a lot of passing but it's also not going to be blistering hot either yeah when i think it's one thing you can you can take out of today too is you saw a lot of two and even three wide on the back stretch and the front stretch and trying to get some runs and, and see where you can pass with these cars in the concurrent configuration for this year and and with the weather too so i think you saw a lot of guys really testing that as when can i get runs when, you know, what, when do I have to pull out to make a pass on the front stretch? You know, how close can I be in the corners when you're, if you're running side by side or trying to make a run? So I think th those are some of the things that I think, you know, the more veteran drivers they use today to figure out, uh, while more of the younger drivers I still think are, are still getting the feel of a lot of things in terms of their car and also how it runs uh, with other cars nearby. Well, and we saw it on the Monday session. We saw a little bit today. Uh, especially in one of the incidents with between Ferrucci and Malukas, but guys are taking a lot more risks in practice than I think you would anticipate. Yeah, you know, what do you attribute that to? I mean, is it – we can't say lack of track time because they have had a – I mean, we've had some rain delays but and one washout of practice day, mm -hmm. but I think there's still been a considerable amount of track time. Um, is it is it, the, is it, you know, the configuration of these cars this year? What do you attribute – those things too or is it just you know 
guys taking chances. I think it's. <laughs> I think it's race car drivers being right? race car yeah. drivers. I guess. You know? I mean, it, it's the, it's young guys, right? I mean, right. these are the the people who are more willing to take chances. Heard his incident notwithstanding, where it was just he made a mistake. Yeah. I think that sums it up. I mean, Kellett got caught up in something, right, on Monday. Obviously, the Ferrucci and Malukas incident today. What's the common thread? All young guys, right. in, in those incidents. So I think it's just again youthful ignorance, and that's what makes racing interesting is you have young guys who are brave you have the veteran drivers who are going to pick their spots and we we see how it plays out week to week some guys it's the young guns sometimes it's the veterans one thing you know additional thing here also that that to me was kind of surprising and we walked up and down pit road uh, mm-hmm. during practice is i didn't see a lot of cars doing simulated pit stop runs we saw some cars do that uh, we were near the Arrow McLaren pits, and they were doing some. But when we get to Sunday, and every single year we see some sort of incident in pit lane that can cost drivers a chance at winning this race, I'm very surprised on the final time that you're going to be out on track uh, for uh, practice or anything before the race, I didn't see more cars dipping into pit lane in and out and trying to simulate some pit stops. So. Um, and maybe the most overlooked part of preparation for the Indianapolis 500 along pit road and making sure you got your stuff together for your pit stops. I didn't see a lot of cars taking advantage of the opportunity today. And we talked about the weather. Well, apparently uh, there's some sprinkles falling, not quite where we're at, but in gasoline alley. And so the weather continues to play an impact, but thankfully we got the session in today. And we have plenty more to come here on our Indy 500 preview show. A lot of big announcements between yesterday and today on some unanswered questions and some really cool things that I don't think either of us were expecting to be announced as well. We'll tell you all about it. Plus, we'll have our picks for the race coming up a little bit later on. You're listening to the new track record Indy 500 preview show live from the Indianapolis Motor Speedway on 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. It's new track record with Caleb Hatch and Justin Kenny live from Indianapolis Motor Speedway on 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Welcome back to the new track record Indy 500 preview show live from the Indianapolis Motor Speedway Media Center third floor here next to the uh, IMS Pagoda and the building next to the Pagoda here at IMS. Caleb Hatch and Justin Kenny with you. Fastest in our final practice for Sunday's 106th running, the Indianapolis 500. Tony Kanan, the leader, and Ganassi dominating the speed charts. But I think the conversation off the track, Justin, has been dominated, I think, largely by a handful of drivers and all with ties to one team, and that's Aaron McLaren SP. And we finally got confirmation today on something that I think was long expected Pato Award has officially signed a contract extension with the team through 2025. The 22-year-old Mexican driver, one of the top young drivers in the series. First confirmation for next year. We expect more confirmations in the coming weeks, and we have one checkmark off the board with Pato going to McLaren and staying there for longer. This will also include some of those uh, test sessions in Formula One. It will be the um, previous car, you know, test session that yeah. it'll be a part of. So, again, you can check this off the box. Not a huge surprise, but we finally have an announcement, especially for something that 
seemed like it was a done deal. You go all the way back to what, Long Beach? Yeah, and there was you know some dicey moments and maybe some contention and going back and forth on, on what Pato Award thought he should be paid as opposed to what McLaren was willing to pay. My question with this deal would be, is this a deal for Pato Award in IndyCar through 2025, or is it Pato Award with McLaren through 2025? Because those are two completely different things. It's a great question. Look, I mean, we don't know. Obviously, that <laughs> will play out. Now, they had a deal with his current contract that McLaren could match any outside offer at 75% to hold on to him through 2024. And reports are that Ganassi uh, had an offer to Pato, and then that's kind of how this played out. So at St. Pete, we thought, okay, surely he's going to get an extension with the team, and then he starts questioning things, kind of affected his on-track performance for a couple of races early in the season, and comes back, wins at, at Barber, right? And... It seems like everything's great again. Yeah. It was just a minor hiccup for Pato Award and McLaren, but good to see the clarity that they've made. Now, the question is, is who are Pato Award's teammates for 2023? And, you know, Jenna Fryer from the AP today once again goes to social media and basically says, look, you know, Alexander Rossi is going to McLaren. It's done. They may not be saying anything. They may, may be avoiding the subject, but it's done. It's happening. And so... We're going to take Jenna Fryer's word for it, and she knows what she's talking about, and say, okay, it's Pato and Alexander Rossi, and who? Is it Felix Rosenquist next year? Is it somebody else? Is it Renus VK? He's another name that's been thrown out for that seat as they're going to run three full-time cars for the first time starting next season. You mentioned Rossi to McLaren. Now, we received a tip uh, a while back. What has it been, like a month ago, six weeks ago, that Rossi would be to McLaren and it would be announced in the next several races. Well, you time that out, and what makes the most sense, him being a Honda guy, moving to a Chevy team, well, what would make sense would be announcing that deal at Detroit coming up next weekend. Now, it, it sounds like that may be delayed a little bit, but Rossi telling Motorsport.com earlier this week that basically this will be announced in the next three to four weeks, he has a, a, a deal done for next year, wouldn't confirm anything, wouldn't deny anything, kind of left it pretty open. Well, it's, it's the trickle-down effect, right? It'll be the first you know, official driver change in the paddock for 2023 from team to team. So as Alexander Rossi exits uh, Andretti Autosport and heads to Aero McLaren SP, it leaves an open position. Does it, does it a Kyle Kirkwood that just slides right into that car? For next year, uh, could there be more movement? I mean, I think you're looking at a, a Grosjean, Herda, Kirkwood 3, but, you know, who's in that fourth? Is it Devlin Francesco coming back again next year? So, you know, some people will say, you know, this is way too early for speculation, but these conversations are happening in the garages, in boardrooms, in social media texts and, and all that stuff. So, you know. It's never too early to start talking about it because we're already seeing drivers sign for next year, whether it be existing teams or other teams. So uh, a lot to digest here as the dominoes start to fall. And what was interesting, Rossi had to say in his uh, conversation with David Mulcher-Lopez of Motorsport.com, saying three to four weeks, deal should be announced. Yes, he does have a new contract signed. It will be announced soon. But he was asked... 
how many IndyCar teams he believes are capable of winning the IndyCar championship responded with three and then asked if one of those was his current team, Andretti Autosport, and he said, we haven't been for a long time. Just look at the stats. There was 2012 with Ryan, his former teammate Ryan hunter Ray, and nothing since. And then he goes to say he believes Colton you know, could win the championship, could have won it last year, had a couple of crashes. One is mistake at Nashville, the other just an error at, at Gateway beyond his control. But he talks about Penske. He talks about Canassi. He doesn't talk about the third team. I think we all well, can surmise what that third team is. He feels like he's going to a championship quality team, but that has yet to be proven, right? So we dissected this, and I don't know if it was last week or, or the week before, is, you know, for the better part of, what, 10, 15 years, it's been Ganassi and Penske, right? Mm-hmm. Those are the only two teams that have been able to consistency, consistently put together championship seasons, right? So... Those are the only two teams in my mind right now that are quality enough to win season championships until I am proven wrong. So uh, naturally, Rossi's going to back his new team, which is Errol McLaren, even though he does not come out right and say it. And naturally, he's not going to defend the team that he is leaving, considering nobody has won a championship from Andretti Autosport since... 2012. Exactly. Which is the last time anybody, not from Ganassi or Penske, won the championship. That's right. And, you know, it's one thing to actually be a championship-winning team and to be a championship-contending team, right? I mean, we could. there are a handful of teams that have been contending teams. Obviously, Aaron McLaren SP was last year with Pato Award. Andretti was just in, in 2020 with Herta, and then even last year with Herta until he kind of faded late in the year. You have Ray Hall, uh, that team with Graham Ray Hall uh, back in 2015. Obviously, Andretti's been there year in, year out as a contender. Even in Carpenter Racing in 2016 with Joseph Newgarden right. was a contender as well. So it's it's not that other teams can't contend, but actually getting that championship is, is a big hill to climb for any team outside of those big two teams. Well, you know, you have to put 17 races together, and every race counts. You know, Alaska, you know remember when, when Simon uh, or Sebastian Bourdais won back-to-back openers, St. Mm-hmm. Petersburg? Uh, and the immediate both years was the conversation talked about can he be a championship contender, <laughs> and both years the answer was no. Well, and I think the race right after that he struggled. Yeah, in both races. Yeah, so you know it, it's always quick to say can this driver be a championship contender? Can that driver? But you have to look at the team, and I think there are a lot of drivers and a lot of teams that can put thirteen, fourteen, fifteen good races together. But which of those teams can put 16, 17 races together? Which ones can take a 15-place car and finish ninth and get every point you possibly can, and eventually that pays off at the end of the season? In my opinion, it's only two right now. And until somebody else proves it, I'm going to stick to that. I'm not saying a McLaren or Andretti or whoever can't step up into that role, but right now I'm not crowning anybody else until I'm proven different. Yeah, well, that's the thing, right? I mean, it's it's so hard to knock those two teams off the top, whether it's at Indy, and at Indy, I feel like it's actually changed in recent years. Andretti had a really good run uh, late last decade through the, the middle of that decade. And then Ray Hall winning in 2020. Obviously, Meyer Shank, one of the much, at the time, smaller teams. Now they're kind of on par with a lot of the other teams in the paddock with two full-time entries. But they were one full-time car and a part-time car with Elio. And for them to climb the mountain and win Indy last year was a huge deal for that organization. Well, and I think that goes back to one of our points earlier was the fact that how 
valuable veteran drivers around this place are. And, you know, I'm not taking anything away from Meyer Shank Racing, but do they win that race last year if they don't have Elio Castroneves in the seat? And the answer is no. And it takes a combination of a great driver around this place coupled with a solid program to have a chance to win this race. And in my opinion, there's nobody else uh, better to put into a seat in terms of wheeling it around here when you have a good car and a good setup than Elio Castroneves. And he was able to pull that off last year. So uh, that's the importance of, of, of having a lot of races and a lot of miles, a lot of laps around this place is this, t- this, this track, this, this race changes so much, you know, between race, you know, in one year, let alone year to year to year, is mm-hmm. you have to experience a lot of different situations and a lot of different conditions here to really be in a position uh, to truly, you know, conquer this place and win. And I know there's exceptions. You look at Alexander Rossi coming in as a rookie and win, and I understand that. But by and large, we've seen over the last 10, 15 years that the veteran guys, the guys that have been around this place and learned, are the guys that put a complete 200 laps together and win it. So going back to the McLaren team, so Pato's locked in through 2025. So that box is checked. I think that was the the biggest thing to check off, but also seemed like the most obvious and most likely thing. I think the the next announcement, obviously we're expecting Alexander Rossi to join that program, whether he's in the seven car replacing Felix Rosenquist or a different numbered car, the third car that is going to be the third full-time entry next year for that organization. What do you think he brings to the table for them that they've not really had so far since they rebranded as the McLaren team in 2020? Well, I mean, is it a veteran driver that brings a winning pedigree to that team? Yeah. I mean, they don't have that. Right. I mean, they do now with Pato in the sense that he's won some races, but he started with them and he, yeah, he had a handful of races, but I mean, it was his first full season in IndyCar in 2020. So, and, and, you know, some people could be listening to this and say, you know, winning pedigree for Alexander Rossi, that's not kind of foreign considering it's been, what, three years, three-plus years since he's won three a race? Three years uh, next month. So, you know, yes, but I, I think he's still a guy that could go out in any particular weekend and put it in victory lane, and you wouldn't be shocked at this point. So uh, I think a change of scenery is going to be great for him, and I think McLaren, I think you could argue, depending on what happens the rest of this year, uh, has usurped. Andretti Autosport, or, or at least going into next year and being able to prove track. I mean, I, I would say they're comparable right now in terms of on-track performance. Mm-hmm. And you have that lead driver with Colton Hurd on one side, and you have another one with Pacho Ward. I guess you can throw Grosjean in there as, as a, a legit two for, for Andretti Autosport. But, but, you know, a McLaren team that next year is going to have a one-two of Rossi and Pato Award, or Pato Award and Rossi is a one-two, is I, I think going to be as good, if not better, than the Colton Herta Roman Grosjean one too. Yeah, major talent upgrade. You have an Indy 500 winner with Rossi. Uh, a lot of experience, more experience than Grosjean and Herta. You know, as far as Indy 500 starts, has had a lot of success here at this track. Pato Award is young, but he had a, a great run last year in fourth place, nearly a top three before he got clipped by uh, Simon Pagano in the closing. I think the final lap of the event last year. So major upgrade in the talent, and then you get to that third car or the the open entry, depending on how it works out. Felix Rosenquist, obviously with the team through this year, very critical that he gets results the the next month or so before that summer break after Road America, quite simply because, I mean, his his job's on the line for next year with that team. You have – he had the pole. 
at Texas. Race didn't really go his way. He put together a solid result in the Indy GP, despite all the chaos and getting hit by his teammate on a restart late in that one. And he's qualified well, along with his teammate here in the, in the top 12 for the 500. So, I mean, he's putting together some good runs here, but he's going to have to continue to get results to lock himself in for next year. Yeah, and I think once we get through this weekend and you head into Detroit, and, and that's really when I think the evaluation seriously started and the conversations seriously beginning. When you look at the first half of the season, you just say, which, which drivers are overperforming, which ones are underperforming? And I think that's when those conversations start. And, you know, sticking to our guns, you know, next week's show will we'll definitely break down the point standing. So <laughs> I think that will give us a better indication of who has, uh, you know, performed up to expectations who has not met expectations and who needs to have a really good final you know 10 11 races of the season to either keep their job or potentially get a new job a better job and and kind of who's on the chopping block so i think those things are going to start coming into focus you know over the next you know month or two but man a great run on sunday for anybody really helps your chances and whatever your goals are for 2023 it really helps your confidence especially if you're in a contract you're in Speaking of guys in a contract year, and another name we have to throw into the boat for the McLaren conversation, Renus VK, who told Jenna Fryer yesterday that Ed Carpenter Racing holds exclusive negotiating rights on him until August 1st, and that Renus values loyalty. Renus said, Ed took a chance on me. He's the only one. So you have to keep that in mind. And, you know, we've seen this play out, though, with, with other drivers. <laughs> you look at Alexander Rossi. I'm sure that's exactly what yeah. you're thinking. Well, loyal to the team that brought you on. Well, and rightfully so. You, yeah. He won an Indy 500 with him. He competed for championships. But uh, eventually, you know, relationships either work long term or you, you need to try something new. And I think for Rossi, I think it's clear that he's going to try something new. And hopefully that could restart his career. Well, actually, I was thinking Joseph Newgarden when we're looking at comparisons. Because, look, I... I they're talking the same thing. Joseph Newgarden, when he was with Sarah Fisher Hartman Racing, he was with ECR. I mean, he said all the right things, right? You know, he, 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 he was a race winner with them. And, you know, I want to stay here, blah, blah, blah. But the, but the fact of the matter is, is Joseph Newgarden was a title contender with the right team. And it goes back to that conversation. Can Ed Carpenter Racing be a championship contender on track? The answer is no, as of right now you know, through their, through their, uh, their lifetime. So Renus VK, I appreciate him saying that he would like to stay with Ed Carpenter racing and all that stuff. But this is a guy that's a, a multi-time race winner. He's starting on the front row of the Indianapolis 500 coming on Sunday. Who knows if he can get a dub coming in on Sunday or at least a podium. I mean, this is guy is going to be a hot commodity on the free agent market. If he does go that far and he has to consider his career. Look, I understand loyalty and you, you want to honor that, but do you want to raise the level of your performance? Do you want to have a chance to compete for championships? If that's the goal for you, Renus VK, you're not going to accomplish that at Eddie Carpenter Racing. And, you know, that's just reality. Just the one win, the Indy GP last year. Correct. But he yes. has multiple poles. Yes. So still very successful with – it's not, not a smaller team, right? But it's a – it's a, a mid-level team. I mean, they yeah. don't have four or five cars, but also they're running two full-time plus a, a partial entry this year. I mean, it's, it's not one of these smaller teams in the paddock. And, you know, do you 
Do you look at it as could could Rius VK Bith be that missing piece to potentially be a championship contender? You know, maybe, but I feel like that could have been the case when you had Joseph Newgarden, unless, you know, we feel that team has grown since then. Yeah, I mean, I, I feel like VK is in that exact same spot. I mean, same team at, at the time. And once he got that race win, I mean, with Newgarden, it seemed like it was coming, whereas VK, I think, surprised us all by, by getting it when he did win last year the Indy GP and now it's waiting for that next race win and he's had speed looked like he was going to win Barber earlier this month had a dominant race led the most laps seemed like the runaway favorite going on but it just it didn't work out with the strategy and Pato able to get the win but we'll see what he can do the rest of the season and I think that crash they had last year or, or well the, the bike accident really set him back and he, he finally got back into a groove this season yeah he absolutely did and and at this point um you know it, anything can happen here positive or negative going into the weekend so um we'll just have to see i mean you know wh whoever has the momentum coming into this weekend may not necessarily have it coming out so some other announcements made here at carb day is this is traditionally one of the big announcement days for the series and for th things like that and something that I don't think either of us expected, but it makes perfect sense just because of the ownership of the Speedway and the series. But Shell has uh, been named the official uh, fuel of IndyCar and IMS starting next year. They replace Speedway. They'll also continue on their NASCAR partnership with the number 22 car. And they also announced today and this is i think the thing that really caught us off guard so of a new fuel partnership again through shell but they'll also move to a 100 percent renewable fuel for next season that should cut emissions by 60 percent i mean this is a huge deal for indycar to do this first series in north america i believe to use a renewable fuel when they do that starting next year so this is a really big deal and a pretty exciting announcement when you look at when we, you know, IndyCar has talked about, you know, being more, you know, environmentally savvy and, and you know, being cognizant of um, renewable energy and all that stuff. We're seeing it with the with the Kerr system, with the uh, the hybrid system, with the engines. And here we are, you know, talking about a, a fully renewable um, source of fuel with Shell coming on board. So um, I guess the other story here is, is how 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 uh, how soon does uh, the Speedway dip? You know, it was just a couple of years ago they were. They were diving in, and now they're being replaced by Shell starting in 2023. Yeah, that was a, a big announcement at the time because it's a familiar brand that is well-known in the Midwest, and I think fans you know, kind of didn't understand the Sunoco partnership at the time because, well, you're, you got NASCAR messaging at every station, whereas you go to a Speedway, you may get an IMS or IndyCar, you know, whether it's an ad or something on the, the TV screen at the pump. Sure. There was obvious activation there. Yeah. You're just hoping you're going to get the same out of Shell. Yeah, I think, you know, once again, that's a relationship that ha originally, you know, has come a a about basically with their longtime relationship with Roger Penske and Team Penske. And that's, you know, activation with Roger Penske is taking some of the business dealings that he's had with Penske and making them bigger. And, you know, that that, that was an open door uh, that was made purely because of, of – the the relationship that that shell and and penske have had over the years and it's good to see them stepping up and and i feel like you know it's 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 more recognizable 
name, I feel, than, than Speedway. And, um, you know, hopefully it works out. But it's definitely exciting news in terms of the, uh, the renewable energy aspect. So it'll be a biofuel, 100%. They're switching from E85, which is 85% ethanol, 15% gasoline. And this will come from uh, waste biomass, such as sugarcane maize. And it, it'll basically be obtained from waste feedstocks. Does not compete with the food chain. So uh, is it still technically ethanol or no? No. Okay. It is 100% renewable biofuel, so okay. no ethanol. So you, I mean, but if you're getting it from waste biomass such as sugarcane maize, you may still get kind of that sweet, you know. Yeah, a little, little sweet smell. <laughs> smell that, that we have now when, when you're on pit lane. And this is not just simply IndyCar coming and saying, hey, you know, we're going to this new fuel. They have to make sure this is uh, is will run with, with you know Chevy and Honda. They have to approve it, right? Because you know you're putting these fuels in their power plants, so uh, it's it's very much a uh, series-wide decision to go to this because you definitely need to have Chevy and Honda on board with this. Yes. So with this, as far as performance, you mentioned um, they expect it to fall in line with the current E85 that will be used through the end of the season with this fuel, and and Penske is. Look, I mean, I get that we've been, I wouldn't say critical, but have questioned kind of some of the moves or lack of moves with some of the programs, especially on the Race for Equality and Change program. But they have done something every year, and when they say they're going to do something, they've done it, and they're stepping up again in this arena. Absolutely. Now, does this, you know, entice new businesses? Does it entice an OEM? Does it entice new teams? Not necessarily, but I feel in terms of, you know, putting – your uh, your environmental footprint out there, lessening that, I think, can go a long way in terms of maybe, you know, dipping into to other realms and, and other opportunities. All right. So that's a look at some of the announcements that we had here today. And the other thing that we saw just the other day, going back to the McLaren conversation, forgot to drop this in, but they're announcing a new 97,000 square foot headquarters for the Aero McLaren SB IndyCar team facility in Whitestown, Indiana, on the far northwest side of the Indianapolis area, costs over $25 million. So, I mean, that is a long-term major investment with a team building a race shop, and surprisingly, not in the Speedway or Zionsville area. No, Whitestown, which is about 20 miles away from Speedway uh, up northwest. Uh, I think it's in Boone County. It's not even in Marion County. So a mm -hmm. uh, bit of a haul uh, in comparison to, obviously, right across the road in Speedway, uh, but definitely uh, you know, with the renderings looks looks great i don't think we're going to see the opulence that is the mclaren building in england but definitely cool that they're going to have their own uh, really you know base here in indiana for their indycar program a couple other announcements to get to before we wrap things up and make our race picks and some predictions Lighter aero screen for the pipeline coming in 2024, much needed for the drivers of this series. I think that's good news. At what, about a 17 or so pound weight reduction with that? And doesn't sound like a lot, but it is a lot when we're talking race cars, especially when we've set, we've seen the the added weight with the aero screen and with the the new power plants and the Kurs Energy System that we're going to have in 2024. Gamebridge will continue on as the presenting sponsor of the Indy 500 for years to come. Now, no year mark as far as a one-year deal, two-year deal, three-year deal. I think we expect it to be multiple, though, with this announcement. I would agree. Now, does Zach Veach get a thank you note for this, <laughs> considering it was Zach Veach who brought Gamebridge into the sport? Probably not. <laughs> okay.
Just wondering. And then uh, as far as capacity and, and attendance, less than 10,000 grandstand seats remain for Sunday. Nothing on the front stretch. Parking is sold out. Now that's as far as IMS official right. parking passes. Plenty um, of lawns in the neighborhood that you can pay to park in, that's for sure. And most of those seats, the North Vista, ironically, where I sit every year. I like sitting there, but I also sit closest to the Northwest Vista near Turn 4, so I probably have the best view of the people in that section. Most uh, highly attended Indy 500 in 20 years, obviously excluding 2016. It feels like a lifetime ago, but I remember when we were, you know, the 96th, the 97th, and the 98th runnings, is there was really that overtone of a lot of people were wanting to get to that 100 and then not renew their tickets, you know. And uh, for for the feeling then to where they've gotten now, where there has been next to no loss of, of excitement and energy after the 100th, I think in a lot of ways it reinvigorated this place. And then Roger Penske purchasing it, you know, even more, I think, propelled it up. And, you know, the entire, you know, IndyCar and Indianapolis Motor Speedway staff have done a tremendous job. And, and Doug Bowles has been tremendous. IMS president is, you know, they've they've really made this a thing that's that's long lasting. And, in, you know, some people felt, OK, after they get to 100, you know, that's it. But it's continued to grow. And I think, you know, without the, the two hiccups we had over the last two years, I think, um, you know, we're looking at a potential bigger crowd. But I think they've been able to take advantage of, of those last two years to really kind of make, you know, an exciting campaign with the, you know, back home again campaign to really come back and fill the seats. And then lastly, before we take one more break and then come back with our race picks and predictions, good news, Central Indiana fans of the Indianapolis 500, you'll be able to watch the race live on Peacock. A lot of questions going in if you'd be able to. The race is blacked out on local television here in Indianapolis and the Indianapolis area every year. They re-air the race, you know, 7, 8 o'clock in the evening every year as an incentive for people to attend the race, come back, and then watch the broadcast on TV. But good news for those who have Peacock because, well, quite honestly, how could you justify saying you're going to provide all the races streaming on Peacock but then <laughs> not stream the, the biggest one? Well, it's interesting. The, the lateness of that announcement is, is it because of the big crowd? Is it because a lot of people were complaining? Um, I don't know. I, I feel like it's something where, look, if – it, it, it makes business sense, right? If you're in central Indiana and you want to watch the race on Sunday live, you can't watch it on NBC, but you can pay Peacock to watch it. And I think that's just good business sense, right? And maybe it finally took somebody here late in the week to figure that out. Well, I think they held off that announcement. Maybe. That's as true. As long as possible. That is true. To entice people to buy tickets. <laughs> that's a good point as well. When we come back, we'll make our race predictions and wrap things up. You're listening to the new track record Indy 500 live preview show from the Indianapolis Motor Speedway on 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. It's new track record with Caleb Hatch and Justin Kenny live from Indianapolis Motor Speedway on 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Welcome back to the new track record Indy 500 preview show live from the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. Caleb Hatch and Justin Kinney with you here on 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Justin, it is time to make our picks, our predictions. Okay. And we will start with first out on Sunday. Jimmy Johnson. Wow. (laughs) Really? You should have known. You chose violence. I did. (laughs) I did. Um 
Jimmy has, has, has done a great job. Uh, he did a great job at Texas. Has done a great job this this week, uh, last two weeks so far. But 33 cars going into turn one. I told you we're due for something to go in the on lap lap one. Uh, it's been since 2015 since we've had a lap one caution. I'm predicting Jimmy Johnson first out on lap one. We both agree that there will be a crash on lap one of this year's race. Uh, I'm going to take the cop out. Easy answer, Stefan Wilson. He starts 33rd. They had issues in qualifying. Um, I, this is not a dig on him. I think this is more of just a ragtag crew that's come together. And if you have an entry, an issue on qualifying, it doesn't bode well for the race as well. Where we have mechanical problems, I'm just expecting the same there. Well, they were able to get 45 laps on track today, and they were P15. So at least they were able to get some consistency today. But, yeah, the struggles uh, of the smallest team uh, on the grid you know, could really show up on Sunday. All right, biggest surprise. Biggest surprise is a good one. And uh, I guess you always go positive or negative, but I'm going to go I'm going to go Kyle Kirkwood. All right. I feel like Kyle Kirkwood finishes in the top 15. And I don't know if that's surprising or not to a lot of people, but I think with, with, with Foyt, um, you know, I think he flirts with the top 10 potentially. I think that's what's going to be my biggest surprise. All right, my biggest surprise, I am going to go with Simon Pagano contending for the win, starting back in 16th position for this race. And I guess biggest disappointment as we wrap things up. Uh, biggest disappointment, real quick, I will go with Andretti Autosport as a whole. <laughs> no surprise from you. No. Uh, I'm going to go with Scott Dixon. Look, he's qualified on pole, and outside of his win in 2008, it's kind of been a disappointment, right? Every year as sure. he goes in as, as a favorite. So I'm going to go with that. And then finally, your race winner pick for Sunday. <laughs> My race winner pick is Scott Dixon. <laughs> um, I think it happens. I think the, the guy's too good to only have one win here on the pole. I feel like he gets it done, wins his second 500. And I'm going to go with a Chip Ganassi Racing teammate, Alex Pillow, as my winner for Because you stole mine. I had to find 106 one. Indianapolis 500. For Justin Kinney, I own Caleb Hatch. Thanks for joining us on the new track record. Indy 500 preview show live from the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. Podcasts by Federated Media.